Father, you are the Savior. You are our Savior, and we thank you. We bless you. We thank you for open arms that accepted us, knowing what we were and what we weren't. But we thank you for it. This night, Lord God, we're trusting the, the life within your word, Lord God, will Lord, awaken us and waken our hearts, Lord God, to hear what you're wanting to say to us in these words. We give you thanks and praise, Father, that we can depend on you and we can trust you, Lord God. So we, we just give this time to you. We ask that you be the one, Lord God, who help this word find a lodging place deep within our hearts. And it will be for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. While they're taking a seat, you can uh, look at Esther. We're going to look at Esther a little bit tonight. Lord and I had some discussion whether this was the time for this or not, but um, I feel like this is what I was supposed to talk about tonight. I, I struggle with the fact that I think probably everybody here has read this a number of times, and uh, that being the case, uh, you know, what are we going to learn tonight? And I'm not sure. We'll see what God speaks to your heart and, and to my heart as we look at this together. Most of you realize that you know Esther's a basically a a, a story, of, and it's a, a factual historical person, and she and, and her guardian Mordecai were Jews living in in uh, Babylon. Now I, I should tell you if you go back to Ezra, which is just before this, and Chapter 1, verse 2, the Jews were released by the previous king as much as 50 years before what we're going to talk about tonight. So these people are living in Babylon, if you will, by their choice. And there's some indication as we go through here tonight, I'm sure that you'll see that it may have been that they were living here because they were pretty well off. And, uh, you know, God was taking care of them in this place, and why go back where there was nothing but burnt stones to build a wall and where they were building the temple and all of those kind of things. So, you know, only God understands why, why they were still here, but they were. And it's also, to me, uh, amazing uh, who God chooses. It seems like, to me, it's very unlikely people that he likes to choose. I was reading this morning, you know, about Jesus choosing his uh, disciples <laughs> You know, he's just walking along the shore, and here's these stinky, dirty fishermen. And what's he do? Come on. And what'd they do? They went. <laughs> they didn't even go home and take a shower. They went. And it seems like, you know, God's ways certainly are not our ways. And he's a, you know, he thinks a lot higher than us. But Mordecai was a Jewish man. He, he was a Benjaminite. And if you know anything about the Benjamin uh, tribe, they really... They aren't mentioned a lot in here. They, they, there wasn't a lot happened from them. Esther was an um, adopted orphan cousin. Uh, she was a child of his uncle. And so here we have, if you will, two people who uh, God has put together, first of all, and then second of all, people who are kind of unlikely to be what, what we're going to see happening here tonight. So let's go to chapter 1, verse 1. It came to pass... And I'm going to let you continue to look at that, that Ahasuerus, the king. I'm going to call him the king. Okay? And, and it came to pass in the days of this king, that, and this was the, the king who reigned over 127 providences. Now think about this. All the way from India, clear over through all of Asia, over into Africa, as far as Ethiopia. 127 providences that he reigned over. He hadn't, if you will, he hadn't captured all of this himself. It had been done by some previous kings, but, you know, here he is reigning over all this. Um, may I say that uh, I think we'll get some idea of what this guy was like as we read on. In those days, when the king sat at the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shoshone, the citadel, or, or it, you know, if you will, in the palace, that in the third year of his reign... so. He's been king for three years, 
reigning all, over all these 127 provinces. And in that time, he made a feast for all of his officials and his servants, if you will, the powers of Persia and, and Media, the nobles, the princes of his provinces were be, being before him. What did he do that for? Well, he's celebrating that, he's, that he has 127 providence. Verse 4 says, When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for, that, for many days, and how many days was it? A 180-day party. Now, I don't know about you, you know, sometimes a couple hours is enough for me, but uh, a day, a week, a month, a half a year, they've been having this party. And he's doing it for those people who are serving him. And probably so they'll continue to serve him. And it goes ahead and talks about, uh, you know, what it, what it was. And of course, it was, everything was very eloquent. And verse 7 says, they served drinks in golden vessels, each vessel being different from the other. You know, they, 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 everybody was special. With rural wine in abundance and according to the generosity and I think it's kind of interesting, in verse 8 it says, in accordance with the law, the drinking was not compulsory. So, there we go. And in the midst of that, the queen, Vashti, who I'm sure all of you read about, also made a, a feast, and she made it for the women. So we've got two big feasts going on at the same time, the men and the women. We don't know how long the women was, but we know that they had a feast and they did it in the royal palace, which belonged to the king. And on the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded, and here are these eunuchs, these are the people that served him. These are the people who, uh, if you did, if you will, did his bidding right with him. They were right there with him. And one of those we're going to hear a little bit about later, but you know, they, they were people that, that if he had lots of trust in. And they asked him, that he asked them if they, they would, uh, verse 11, bring Queen Vashti before the king wearing the royal crown in order to, to show her beauty. So he talked about all the beauty, all, the, all the, 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 the money and all that he had in 127 providences, and now he's going to show off his queen, Queen Vashti. And from all indications, she was a very beautiful woman, but she also had her own ideas. And he wanted to bring her before the, the king wearing a royal crown in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials for she was beautiful to behold. But king Vashti, Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command brought by the eunuchs. It was real interesting as I was looking at all the commentaries, everybody has their idea why she didn't come. Because he was drunken snake and you know he, she didn't want to be put on display because she wasn't obedient to the king. She was just beautiful. And it just, it just went on and on and on. And I'll just let your imagination take care of that because it doesn't tell us. But she didn't come. And I want to suggest to you, it probably was because God put on her heart that she shouldn't go. Because here we are in a very secular situation, and yet God is starting to move in the midst of that. And the first thing that, that we're aware of in the story is that the queen wouldn't come out. And then uh, that, that really uh, <laughs> had got under the king's skin. It says the king was furious and his anger burned within him. Then the king said to his wise men who understood the times, for, for it was the king's manner toward all who knew the law and justice. So it looks like what he was doing was, all right, she, she didn't come. I'm looking for any law that would allow me to know what to do with her at this point. Well, let's read on. Those closest to him, and again, he mentioned some of those eunuchs, and, and they also, their, their territory was divided up into seven different territories, and there were seven princes of Persia and Media who had access to his presence and who ranked highest in the kingdom. And he asked them all this question. What shall we do with Queen Vashti according, according to the law? Okay? So he's looking 
you know, according to the law, she didn't come. What, should I, what, what is the right thing to do? Because she did not obey the command of the king, and he brought, brought to her by the eunuchs. And one wise, very um, smart person in the midst of that said to the king and the princess, Queen Vashti, number one, has not only wronged the king, but also has wronged all the princes and all the people who are in all the providence of the king. What's that got to do with the law? Not a thing. But what he did was the, queen, the king asked, what's the law says? And he gave his opinion. <laughs> have you listened to the news? They might have been reading this. I'm not sure, you know. For, and, and here's what he said. The king's be, queen's behavior will become known to all women so that they will despise her husbands in, in their eyes when they report. And the king commanded Vashti be brought before him, but she did not come. And they would find that out, and, and they won't obey either. This very same day, the noble ladies of Persia and Media will say in all the king, to all the king's officials that they have heard of the behavior of the queen, thus there will be an excessive contempt and wrath. Nothing to do with the law, only with opinion, but watch what happens. If it pleases the king, let a royal decree go out from him and let it be recorded in the law's so now we're going to make a decree and we're going to make a law, right? You ever seen that happen lately? Recording the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it will not be altered. And according to history, when a law was put into place, it could not be altered. And, and they could add, you know, as far as taking any of it away, they could add to it, but they could not take it away. That Vashti come, come no more before the king... And let the king give her royal position to another who is better than her. When the king's decree, when the king's decree which he made, will, will make is proclaimed throughout all the empire, for it is great, all wives will honor their husbands, both great and small. So he's saying, I want you to text every one of these providences on your phone and tell them what's happened so that all, we'll all be on the same page. No, they had, they had to take this written notice and do what with it? It had to be hand-delivered through 127 providences all at the same time. So this, re, this reply pleased the king and the princess, and the king did according to the word to this man. Then he sent letters to all the king's providence, to each providence in his own script, and every people to, in, in their own language, that each man should be master of his own house and speak in the language of their own people. Seems to me that still happens over there pretty, pretty regular. So it looks like God has really taken and set up this situation, and uh, the queen has been taken out, so now we, we need a, a queen, so let's, let's look at verse two or chapter 2, which most of you are very familiar with. After these things, when the wrath of the king subsided, he remembered Bashti, that she, what she had done and what had been de uh, decreed against her. Then the king's servants who attended him said, let beautiful young virgins be brought before the king. Now, it depends on who you, you know, the commentary I looked at, but th there's been some time happened between when this occurred and, and when the king finally decided it's time to take action, what are we going to do? In verse 3, And let the king appoint officers in all the providence of the kingdom, that they may gather all the beautiful virgins and bring them here to the, to the palace and to the women's quarters under the custody of this particular person, the king's eunuch, custodian of the women, and let beauty preparations be given them. So we're going to the 127 providences, picking out the most beautiful virgins, and we're going to bring them in, and we're going to have a new queen. Then let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Ashtai. This thing pleased the king, and he did so. So here we are, you know, looking at, at, at what, what's going on here, and in the process of all that, 
I think we can drop down to verse 7. Mordecai had brought up, who brought up Hashiah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had, had neither father nor mother. The young woman was lovely and beautiful, and when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So it was when the king's command and decree was heard, and when many of the young women were, were gathered to Shoshone, the citadel, that Esther also was taken to the king's palace and to the care of this particular custodian of the women. Now the young woman, meaning who? Esther, pleased him. So, if you will, it talks about us receiving favor from God. And at this point, Esther is receiving favor for the one, from the one who's overlooking this whole situation. The young woman pleased him. And she obtained his favor, so he, he readily gave beauty preparations to her besides her allowance. So there were certain things that they were to do, but this gal got special treatment, basically. Is, that's the hillbilly uh, rendition of that. Then seven choice maidservants were provided for her from the king's palace. And he moved her and her maidservants into the best place in the house of the women. Gals, can you imagine seven people looking after you? Can you imagine one looking after you? But seven. Now, in this whole thing, verse 10, there's a few things that happened that God engineered that were very important. Esther had not revealed her people or family. In other words, she had not said, I'm a Jew. Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. And here's Mordecai feeling totally responsible. Now, if you will, she's now under the king's command, under the king's authority, but notice that her spiritual authority never left her. And every day Mordecai paced in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. And, and as you know, each one of these young women went in before the king, and uh, it was... When they had got there, then he was going to make a choice of which one he wanted. Uh, verse 15. Now, when the turn came for Esther to, to Gwen to go to the king, she requested nothing but that this eunuch, the custodian of the women, advised. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. So every, what I passed over was everyone, as they went in, they, they were given every, anything they asked for. And she asked for nothing. So Esther was taken to king into the royal palace in the, ten, in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Remember when we started, all this started happening way back in the third year of his reign. That's where the big party was. So we've been four years basically without a queen. And the king loved Esther more than all the other women. And she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Ashtai. So, what's all, what's all of this say to us so far at this point? Um, one of the things that I notice is that, that, that God uses secular situations to put his people in a position that he wants them in. And I see that's what's happening here. He, he, the, the scripture says he orders the steps of men and sometimes it's even non-Christians that he's ordering their steps and having them do things to gain God, to gain his purpose. Um, so as, as we think about that, um, I'd like to get down to uh, verse 21. In those days while Mordecai sat within the king's gate, Two of the king's eunuchs, and one of these is mentioned back in chapter 1, the first one. His doorkeepers became furious and sought to lay hands on the king. Now, these are the people who are tending him. They have access to the king. No one else does, but they do. So this is a very real plot that's going on. So the matter became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. His spiritual authority. 
and, and it's important, you know, that we see that God's setting up circumstances, setting up situations to accomplish what he's looking after later. And when an inquiry was made into the matter, so here, here's these two men, and they're setting up a plot, and they're going to kill the king. Mordecai tells Esther, Esther informs the king, and when the inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed, and both were hanged on a gallows. Now, when I read that, I have something very specific in mind, the gallows, you know. And, but as I, as I looked at this, and as we look at the history of that time, these people were probably killed, and they were impaled, which means they took a sharp stick and ran it through them, and then they were exhibited and that's how, that's how they did with people. So these two were done. So everybody that came by them could see what happened when you go against what the king has. So it's not a gallows where they were, you know, where they broke their neck, but it, they were killed, and then they were impaled on these large poles. And it was recorded, all that, that, all that was going on. So why is that important in this whole thing? All of a sudden, we have a Jew as queen, and we have a man who informed her of this plot because he was in the gate, and the gate is basically where uh, a lot of the chatter goes on and a lot of the decisions, the political decisions were made. And, and he in, informed her of what was going on, and, he, and if you will, now that he's told him, and the two have been taken out, and the king's life's been saved, he has the king's favor. We're, we're going to see how important that was in, in, a, in a few minutes as we read on. Let's go over to chapter 3. After these things, the king promoted Haman. I find that really interesting. He evidently took out the two that were the closest to him. So now he's got a void. And who's he put in that void? A guy by the name of Haman. Mordecai is the one that did the informing, and Mordecai, it was last time, or um, Esther made known that that's who did it. But anyway, he put Haman, he promoted Haman, and he advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to him, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But there's a guy out at the gate a guy who's watching what's going on, named Mordecai, and, he, and what? He did not bow or pay homage. And, and I, th I think it's a, you know, for me anyway, it, it's, a, um, it's, it's a real, um, I don't want to say a challenge, but it's, it's real important that we see that he stood up for where he was. He, he was not to bow his knee to anything, any other. And in the process of that, He's going to get in trouble. But he's following God, not following man. Then the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily that he would not listen to them, that they, told, they went ahead and told Haman to see whether his words would stand. For Mordecai had told him that he was a Jew. So all of a sudden... The word's coming out. Mordecai is a Jew, and since he's a Jew, he can't bow his knee to anyone else or bow, and so he's, uh, he's standing up for God. I'm hoping you could see yourself in the midst of this, and I wonder how I'd react if I was in that situation. And we may be. It's a possibility we could get there. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, Haman was filled with wrath. So we have a, a fellow promoted who feels like he's pretty important, and we have somebody who is important who's not paying any homage to him. And, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai instead. In other words, he said, there's a lot of Jews out there. You put your hand on him. You'll have a lot of other Jews to deal with. Instead, Haman sought to do what? He decided, okay, we'll take care of all the Jews. We'll wipe them all out, 
and then we won't have that problem. And, it, and he's talking about Jews who are throughout the whole kingdom. And, and if you will, at that point, there had been a lot of dispersion, and they're in about every one of the providences. So here they are, and, and now we've got to make a plan that allow us to kill all of those Jews all at the same time. And then, let's read on, in the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of the king, they cast per or cast a lot before Haman determined the day and the month. And so they're deciding, all right, when are we going to do this? We, we need one day and one month where we can kill all the Jews. What day will that be? And they cast a lot to find out what it was. And it fell on the twelfth month. So it's verse started saying that this lot was cast when? In the first month. So we got 12 months to get ready to do this. Then Haman said to the king, there's a certain people scattered and, and dispersed among the people in all the providence of your kingdom, and their laws are differing from those of other people, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it's not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work. So all of a sudden, we've got a plan. We're going to kill all the Jews, and we're going to pay people to do that. Do you think the king's going to go along that, with that? He promises him he's going to bring, all, bring money into the king's treasure from that which makes a lot of sense. He's going to pay out, but he's somehow or other going to come back. That almost sounds like something I heard on TV the other night. So the king took the signet ring from the hand and gave it to Haman. So if you will, the king put Haman totally in charge, gave him his signet ring. Now he's, he's got total authority to this. And the king said to Haman, the money and the people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. So the king's scribes were called on the 13th day of the first month, and a decree was written according to what Haman commanded to the king's. And so these are all of the people who are in charge of, of his uh, providences, and it's done in the name of the king, and it was written, and then they sealed it with the king's ring. So the letters were sent by courier into all the king's providence to destroy, to kill, and annihilate. Now remember those three words, to kill, destroy and annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children, women, in one day. And what day is it? The 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of the Dar, and plunder their possessions. And a co copy of this document was to be issued as law in every providence. So Haman's having his way, if you will. But, but remember, he was put in charge, and he was given that authority, and he took it. So, what do we do? <laughs> when something's decreed against you what, do you, how, what reaction do you need to take? Well, let's look at Mordecai. Mordecai learned all that had happened, and he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out where? Into the middle of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. There he is crying out to God in the front of God and everybody. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, where no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every providence where the king's command to decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. I th you know, to me, there's a life lesson there. When things go turn against you, what do you need to do? You need to press into God pretty quick, don't you? Full force, and that's what you see them doing. So, verse 4, Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. Then she sent gar garments to clothe Mordecai and take his sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called Hathras, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her, and she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. She couldn't talk to Mordecai herself, so she 
she asked a eunuch, find out what's going on here. Um, so, um, I'd like to pass over some of this. Uh, let's go down to verse 10. She spoke to him again and gave him a command for Mordecai. And here's the command. All the king's servants and the people of the king's providence know that any man or woman who goes in the inner court of the king. So Mordecai is telling him, you know, you, uh, we, need to, we need to take action. But anybody who goes in the inner court of the, the king who has not been called, he has but one law. Put all to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into, into there. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the, in the king's palace any more than all the Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet, who knows whether you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. And we've, you know, we, that, that's something that we're all very familiar with. So how does she react? Verse 16. He told them to reply, Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shishan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. Now, when they, when they fasted, tradition, basically, they fasted one day. No eat, drink for a day. But this is so serious that she did what? Three days. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. I'm putting my life on the line. And Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded. Verse 1 of chapter 5. Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on the royal robes, stood in the inner court of the king's palace, across from the king's house, while the king sat at the royal throne in the royal house, facing the entrance of the house. So it was when the king saw the queen standing in court that, that she found favor in his sight. And that's what they were fasting for, favor, so that she could talk to the king. And the king held out to Esther a golden scepter that was in his hand. And Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. And the king said to her, What do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. So you're in, you're talking to the king, and it's your, it's your moment. So what do you do? How do you handle this? Well, she had three days to fast and pray. And I'm trusting in that time, God must have gave her what she needed to do. Because as we think about that, you know, she might have just came right out and told him what the problem was. But how did she handle it? And we need, we need to find out what, you know, what God's strategy is. Verse 4, Esther answered, If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come to, today to a banquet that I have prepared for him. She's already got the banquet prepared. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, that he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared, and the and at the banquet of wine, evidently it wasn't a full-blown banquet, the king said to Esther, what is your petition? It'll be granted to you. What is your request? Up to half of the kingdom, it shall be done. Here's her chance. She's gonna, she has a chance to request. They're sitting in the king's presence, and it's just her and Haman. So how does she handle that? Verse 8. If I have found favor in the sight of the king and it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to a banquet which I'll prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. So here she is putting it off another day. And evidently this is a strategy that, that God has given her. <laughs> he has a lot planned before the next banquet, okay? So Haman went out that day Joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai at the, the king's gate and that he did not stand or tremble before him, 
he was filled with indignation. Nevertheless, Haman restrained, restrained himself and went home, and he sent and called for his friends and his wife. <laughs> then Haman told them of his great riches, the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. This is a proud man. When, if God promotes us, we need to be careful. Moreover, Haman said, besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come with the king to a banquet that she prepared, and tomorrow I'm again invited by her along with the king. Yet all this avails me nothing as long as I see Mordecai, the, the Jew, sitting in the king's gate. So his hatred was so deep that given all this favor, as long as Mordecai was there in the gate, he, was, he, he had a great hatred. So verse 14, his dear wife said, and all his friends said to him, let a gallows be made. And again, this gallows, you know, I'm thinking a place to hang, but I think that they're talking about something else. Let a gallows be made 50 cubits high. Now think about that. It's about 75 feet. Think about that. What is this in here? 15? Maybe? Five times this. So they're going to they're gonna take and they're going to pile Mordecai up on this thing, 75 feet in the air, so everybody can see. Everybody. And, and the thing pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. And I think we know the story. And that night the king could not sleep. That's the part that moved me. As I thought about that, here we have a king with <laughs> all this responsibility, but almost no responsibility because it's all out to someone else. Almost no concerns. He's going to have a banquet tomorrow with the queen, and, he, you know, and they're all excited about that, but that night he couldn't sleep. So one who commanded to bring the book, so, so there was one he commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of these two eunuchs close to him, the doorkeepers who had sought to, to lay hands on the king and kill him. And the king said, What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. So why an extra banquet? Why an extra day? Because the king had to get on board with what's, what God has going on here now. And so the king said, who's in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to, to suggest to the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he, might, that he had prepared for him. And the king's servants said to the king, Haman's out there, he's standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king didn't give Haman a chance to talk first. He talked. What shall be done for a man whom the king delights to honor? Now, Haman, being the humble, um, wonderful man he was, thought, man, he's, any guy's going to honor me. It's got to be me. So what's he do? Well, <laughs> what shall be done for this man the king delights? And Haman thought in his heart, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought, which the king has worn. I want to be king for a day. So bring in the royal robe and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on, on its head. Then let the robe and the horse be delivered to the hand of the one the king, most noble princes that he may array this man whom the king delights to honor, then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, thus shall be done to the man who the king delights to honor. And so, man, you know, he, if you will, he's setting up his own um, excitement here and pretty sure that he's 
made it so he's going to be king for this day. And the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robe and the horse, as you have suggested, and do so for Mordecai the Jew, who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. So Haman took the robe and the horse, arrayed Mordecai, and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, Thus shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor. And after that was over, Mordecai went in to see the king, right? No. Humble Mordecai went back to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. Then Haman told his wife and all his friends everything that happened to him, his wise men, and his wife said to him, If if Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. Now, I find that really interesting because up to that point, they are, it seems that they think the Jews are very vulnerable. But these people are sensing what? God's in their court. God's in the Jews' court. And you better be careful what's going on. And, and so while they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs came. And, and they hastened to bring Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. So here we are. We're going to have a great banquet, right? We got the king. We got Esther. We got Haman. And they're bringing him in. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And on, and on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king again said to Esther, what, what is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your quest? Up to half the kingdom it shall be done. He told her that twice. Then Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases, let my life be given me at my petition and all my people at my request. And I think up to that point, the king's pretty unsure even what she's saying. But then he said, she said, For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed to be killed and annihilated. Where would she get those words from? Off of that petition back there, right? Remember those? That's exact words. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have been, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. In other words, Mordecai or Haman said, you'd get all your money back, but I'm telling you, with all the Jews that would be killed, there would be no way that money would come back into the kingdom. I don't know what it was that moved the king exactly. And, but the king answered and said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? And where is he? Right in front of the king. And she said, the adversary and the enemy is this wicked Haman. And Haman was terrified, I'll bet, before the king and the queen. And the king rose and his wrath from the banquet of wine went into the palace garden. <laughs> he makes another bad move. And Haman stood before the queen pleading for his wife, life for he saw that the evil was determined against him by the king. And the king Return from the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine. Haman, he did. Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. Bad move. Then the king says, Will he also assault the queen while I am in the house? And as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. And what did they do with him? He's outside the city. 75 feet in the air, piled on a, there was some, some thought that we didn't really have trees that big over there, and I'm not sure how God did that, but it, it's likely it was on a wall or something like that, but anyway, he was up there 75 feet so that everybody could see him. Now, I think we all can see that kind of the rest of the story, verse, eight, or verse 1 of chapter 8 on that day, the king gave... Et- Queen Esther what? Haman's house. 
Think about that. The enemy of the Jews, she's living in his house. And I was, I thought, as I saw that, I was thinking about the, the scripture in, um, that says that God has laid up for the righteous the possessions of who? Of the unrighteous. And, and to me, that's a, that's a great example of that. And I could go on. Uh, it's, it's, it's impressive to me that as, as you look at what God did in, in this, that one, one of the, you know, what life lessons do we need to use and, and find? And I think for one thing, we need to be careful what we get upset with and be careful what we make for somebody else to be hanged on. <coughs> There's a number of scriptures that says that the one who dug the pit going to fall in that pit, you know. And we, and we need to be people who, who realize that, that we don't need to be doing anything against other people. But when, when God's people in this situation were informed of what was going on, what did they do? They started praying and fasting, right? And, and you and I, we have the same privilege. I think we have the same obligation to do that. Same obligation. And... You know, as, as, as you look on to the rest of this, I would, I'd like to go uh, clear back to um, the very last. I'm leaving out a lot of this, but in uh, verse 1 of chapter 10, the king imposed tribute on the land and in the islands of the sea. Now all the acts and the power of his might and the count of his greatness, the greatness of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, they're written in the Chronicles. For Mordecai the Jew was second to king, and he was second over how many providences? 127 providences. So God took him as a faithful man, judging in the gate to a man who was made in charge over all those providences. And why did he do that? He was well, it, it says, he was great among the Jews and well received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people and speaking peace to all his countrymen. So here we have a man who <laughs> the king's men wanted to get rid of, and God's exalting, and, and, and God's doing, exalting him in the midst in the midst of a real difficult situation. Now, th this whole story goes on at least four years. It's probably more than that. And so, you know, in 40 minutes, we're trying to look at how these things unfolded. But can you imagine the anguish that he went through and imagine the anguish that, that the queen went through in all of that time? And yet, when we're in the midst of that, if we're not careful, we'll make the wrong decision. We need, we need to see what they did and how they reacted and, and move accordingly. I, I would like to um, read you something that I saw in one of the commentaries. It says the king's imposition of forced labor, and, that, and that's what he did with the, the people who were going to kill. And, and well, I, I guess I should say, in the midst of that, you remember that when they cast the die, there was a certain day in the 12th month the 13th day of the 12th month that there was going to be every Jew killed. Remember that? Well, from the time that this was exposed until that time, they had about 12 months, and every Jew was to find their enemies. And guess who killed who? All those Jews killed their enemies. And so in, in that time, I think there was... I forget, 77,000, I think, that were killed. And, and there are some, some of the commentaries said, I don't know. You know. I can't imagine that happening. I can. I, you know, as, as I look through the Bible, I see time and time again where God just moves in and takes out the enemy. Masses of them. And so that, I like to finish with this commentary. The king's imposition of forced labor throughout the kingdom is specified to emphasize his power a power obviously great and yet not as great as God's power working through Esther and Mordecai. He elevated them because he saw what God was doing for them. 
their wills are yielded to him and their hearts are humbled and their unity is remarkable. So I think that, that's what we need to do. We need to allow our, our wills to be yielded to our Father in, in heaven, our hearts humbled and be in unity. And as a result of that, it said, he said, their God was victorious. So let's, let's bow our heads a moment. Now, Father, I know that we've gone through a lot of scripture, and in the process of all that, there's a lot of lessons that you may have spoke to each of us. And I pray that as we, uh, as we prepare to go home tonight, that we'll give some thought to how we need to react in the middle of the time where we, your people, Lord, are facing opposition. Help us to be a people who see our hope and see what we're to do being in you and not in ourselves. And we see those ones, Lord God, who took it upon themselves to do what they felt they needed to do and what their outcome was. And we see what happened to those, Lord, who humbled themselves, who fasted, who prayed, and allowed you, Lord, to be the one who brought the outcome. And we see how you exalted them. And Lord, I want to thank you. I want to bless you, Lord God, for your word. And I just trust, Father, tonight that somehow each of us will receive from this, Lord, some understanding of where we are, the situation we're in, and how we're to react. And Lord, I just pray now as we prepare to go home that we just take a few minutes, Lord God, and just meditate on you. And there may be those who want to come forward. You're welcome to come down here to the altar. And let, let's give the Lord some time now just thinking about where we are and what, what we may have learned from the word this night. If you will, play a song from the booth right now. And we give you thanks, Father, for all that you've done. And thank you for your word in Christ's name.